If you look at your notes, it says homily on scripture readings, which uh, essentially uh, homily is a short little teaching or commentary on something. Um, so this is pretty much just going to be like our Wednesday's Word. So if you haven't come to Wednesday's Word, uh, I'm sorry for your loss, uh, but you'll get it today. And so uh, since Teresa is doing the kids, I'm going to uh, invite Noel to come up and do the scripture readings. So if everybody can stand for the scripture readings, uh, you're going to get them two times today. A reading from Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. A reading from Hebrews chapter five, verses five through 10. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. My reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 20 through 33. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come for this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, who am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. There's a lot more people here than when we started. Welcome. Uh, so we're going to do, um, if you came for like a teaching on like what I should do with my life and how I can be a better Christian and uh, what are the steps that I need, what kind of sins that I need to get rid of today, this isn't that sermon. Um, our purpose, what we do, we do those later. We do those at the 1030. Uh, our purpose this morning um, is is uh, is what we do with our scripture readings um, on Wednesdays in our teachings, but is uh, kind of recapitulated or, or explained a little bit here in Psalm 34, which says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. My soul makes it boast in the Lord. Let, my, uh, let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And so one of the things we look to do on, on Wednesdays and just with these scripture readings isn't like, how are we going to be better Christians? What sins do we need to handle this week? How do we uh, do that? Um, kind of like the modern day TED Talks of like humanism of uh, how do I better my life? Uh, oftentimes preaching can very easily fall into that. All, we're, all we want to do this morning is magnify the Lord. All we're going to look and see is how awesome is God? Uh, how awesome is Christ and the Spirit? And so that culminates in uh, worship as uh, fitting for the 9.30 to, to lead us into worship. Uh, does this sound like I'm a little hot? I feel like I'm a little hot. All right. Um, so that's our goal here today. Uh, again, if you came here to try to be a better Christian by doing a certain steps, uh, you found the wrong place. Come back at 10.30, go get some coffee. Uh, all right, so our scripture readings today, um, I usually do this on Wednesdays where uh, we're going to actually just handle them how, we, how they're coming to us, Jeremiah, Hebrews, and then John. Uh, I do not have an outline for you guys this morning. If you come on Wednesdays, that's your motivation. If you come on Wednesdays, you'll get an outline. Uh, so please do have your Bibles ready. We will be turning to various places. It will benefit you. Um, if you turn there. And so our first one is Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, and maybe you guys can have them on the screen uh, if possible. And so uh, we mentioned this a few times in our season of Lent. 
Lent is not primarily a somber season to uh, just become better Christians and work on things. Lent is just a 40-day period to get ready for Easter. And so that includes humbling yourself, seeking the Lord more diligently, um, uh, and, and all that entails. And so in all of Lent, if you can think of it this way, all of Lent, all of this 46 days, I know we... Uh, I don't mean to rehash things that we may be taught on, but as a reminder, uh, Lent literally means 40 days. <clears throat> Excuse me, and Lent is 46 days. So, what's the deal? Not the Sundays. Not the Sundays. Sundays don't count. They don't, they're not part of Lent, they're just in Right. And so this period does not, uh, the 40 days, uh, you gotta think, uh, ecclesiastically, do not count the Sundays. Those are feast, day, feast days. And so, all of Lent is just to get ready for Easter. And so, Easter is this culmination of like this, Easter should be like, uh, we all know like just kind of intrinsically that there's those Christians that come on two holidays. What are those holidays? Easter, Easter and Christmas and Easter. The C&E Christians is what uh, they're referred to sometimes. <laughs> They come on Christmas and Easter, right? Um, and so we kind of intrinsically know, even in like nominal Christianity, that there's like at least two really big holidays in, in Christianity, and one of those is Easter. And so uh, one of my just kind of hopes is, uh, and beliefs is the way it should be, is we're all moving towards this, and and the worship on Easter should be 10 times greater, maybe 10 times longer, if need be, than, uh, uh, than maybe normal Lord's Days or, or something like that. And because we're, all of this is just getting ready for Easter to celebrate Christ's resurrection um, and everything that that means. And so these are very fitting verses for what we're doing uh, as a community in seeking ourselves, not seeking ourselves, seeking the Lord, humbling ourselves uh, with prayer and fasting in this season. Um, because in Jeremiah, we refer to this a lot as uh, the, in the new covenant, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, what Jeremiah is promising here is, I'm going to kind of jump around quite a bit. If you guys uh, I'm going to turn to Jeremiah. That'll probably also help. Uh, one thing that we come across a lot, if you ever get to uh, disciple new Christians or Christians who haven't um, thought about some things is, I hear this a lot of like, you know, I ask people like, well, how would you describe like the Bible? How does like, what is the Bible to us? And one of the common answers that I get is, it's like an instruction manual. It's a, it's a guide for life. And surely in some sense that's true, but I've never heard, like, if, you're, if this was an instruction manual, okay, turn to page one, what do I do first? In the beginning, God made, what? Okay, what do I do? The instruction manual tells me what to do to get someplace, right? So the Bible is not an instruction manual in that sense. Um, so when Jeremiah is describing the new covenant, He's describing major aspects of it. He's not describing the whole new covenant and everything it entails. Uh, we have the rest of scripture to decipher and think about that. But it doesn't come down to us as in, first the new covenant starts here, and then you take a step and you go here, and you go to the next spot. 
And so, um, let me just read some of these verses again. We'll talk about them and try to get to all of the scripture readings today. Uh, so, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. The Nazbi, I think, says, behold, surely the days are coming. It is a sure thing, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. Though I was there. Well, let's stop there. So what covenant? The covenant at Mount Sinai. What was that like? So when you read things like this, um, you're supposed to think, okay, what was the covenant at Mount Sinai like? Okay. Uh, uh, God was in a pillar of, of smoke and fire on Mount Sinai. Uh, it was super terrifying. There was trumpets blasting all day. Um, I just, this is like a side note that probably doesn't matter, but I often like to like imagine like what would like what kind of trumpet blast? And I just uh, happened to watch a video this week on where like if you play notes at like at one octave and then an octave higher, and then you play another octave higher, and then you play like those three, and you just keep playing those simultaneously, it continually sounds like it's getting higher and higher pitched, and it's very ominous. I just imagine it was like that. It was like, it wasn't like a, a nice little bugle trumpet, like, good morning, little boys and girls, it's time to wake up and come to the mountain and receive the covenant. <laughs> it was probably really scary. Uh, in accordance with the... And, and so what else was in the covenant at Mount Sinai? Uh, well, one man, Moses, went up, uh, took the 70 elders up partially, but then he goes up all the way. Uh, but with the entire people, they were on the ground. They were at the base of the mountain. They put a wall around it. And if anyone was to go past that gate or that wall or any animal, they stone it to death, right? So one of the things uh, that Jeremiah brings out here. Uh, not directly, but indirectly, is that this covenant was in Mount Sinai. It was, there was a barrier. There was a gate. Don't get close to God. Get close to God, but this is dangerous. You will die. He is holy. Don't mess with him, right? And, but in the new covenant, and this is the covenant that they broke in the old covenant, uh, even though God was their husband, declares the Lord, uh, In verse, where does it start? In verse 33, uh, but the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's a common phrase in, in the Hebrew scriptures when God makes covenant, right? Uh, you, I'll give you laws. Uh, I will draw close to you. I will be your God. You will have no other idols. You'll worship me. You'll worship me alone. And I'll make you my people. That's the blessing, right? Is that, oh, well, we get to worship God. That's a benefit. But also, he makes us his people. He's the God that's going to take care of us. He's going to watch over us. He's going to lead us. It's not going to be that we're going to worship him from a distance and then he'll instruct us and come down and give us laws and maybe we'll, uh, if we copulate with animals in the field like the pagans, he'll bless our crops or something. Uh, and those were every other uh, religion, uh, every other pagan religion in the time was uh, a God that was far off, a God that you had to do things to appease him, to... Uh, to cause him to draw near. And in the new covenant, God's saying, 
not like the old covenant, I'm going to be here, right? Um, and also, I guess I should look at my notes a little bit. Uh, and also, this is a new covenant. This is different. Uh, you guys know what I say about like, uh, I think the book of Judges really sums us up the best about like, what are people like? People stink. The Old Testament is a major story that we don't cut it, right? Ever since Genesis 3, uh, that there was going to be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, but the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. We're looking for that figure. We're looking for that person. And Judges is like the book of like, how bad can people get, right? Uh, it's really bad. Um, and in Judges, they had the law of Moses. They had the books. They had everything. What they didn't have and what they needed was uh, someone to rule over them and cause them to obey because uh, the priests weren't doing it. The judges sort of did it, but uh, not like a king would do. And so uh, in the new covenant, we're all going to have the spirit. We're all going to have the law written on our hearts, right? The, uh, the clear um, uh, difference here is that the law was written on tablets of stone. Here it's written on our hearts, right? Uh, and that doesn't mean uh, in a certain sense that all of the law, like when we receive Jesus, he pours out his spirit on us, we get baptized in the spirit. Uh, that doesn't mean instantly I know all of the law of God and I do it, right? It's not a, uh, we're not perfectionist. But if we go to Titus, Titus 2, Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing us salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the, the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. So in the new covenant, simply what Jeremiah is stating is we're going to actually fulfill what God has called us to be, right? We're no longer going to be like the Israelites wandering in the desert. Uh, you know, half of us are rebelling, half of us are kind of being somewhat faithful, but we're all grumbling regardless, right? Uh, it's also captured in one of my favorite verses uh, with this is 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 10. It says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And by his grace towards me, I'm sorry, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, meaning the other apostles is what Paul's talking about. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. And so, with the outpouring of the Spirit, um, particularly uh, at, at Pentecost, when uh, the kind of conception of the church began, we see that like the, the beginnings of the church, that point of the Spirit, at Christ's uh, coronation, and everything proceeding, is that we're actually going to have power to be the people of God. And... Um, 
One of those verses that Jeremiah is referring to when he says, I will be your God and you will be my people, was uh, a promise to Abraham, right? What was the major, you guys can also respond. What was the major promise to Abraham? Yeah, they'll fill the earth. Is that, is that his children, his descendants, will fill the entire earth. And so, um, now I got to do a lot of flipping. Back to Jeremiah. When he says that there's no more, like we'll have no more need for teaching one another for you all will know the Lord, right? That's kind of confusing, right? Like, what does that mean? Like, why do we get up here and talk on Sundays? Why do we say know the Lord and know him more and know him more? When Jeremiah says in the new covenant, we'll know the Lord and aren't we in the new covenant? Well, yeah, we are. Um, and it says, for they shall all know me from the, from the least of them to the greatest to close the Lord. And so Jeremiah is giving glimpses of the new covenant. He's not saying everything in the new covenant. He's saying this is a different covenant. Here's the covenant on Mount Sinai with the tablets of stone that your barrier, your, your, you have to be protected from God and his judgment. But now you can draw close and will actually be his people. Um, and he's saying that we'll all know the Lord. Well, what does he mean all? Is it, uh, I read a few commentaries um, John Gill seems to think that just is explicitly talking about the, the people of Israel, and he doesn't explain whether that he means the nation or, or uh, those true uh, have faith in Abraham, or faith, the faith of Abraham. But that's not quite it. Uh, Jeremiah is giving glimpses of what the new covenant is like. Everyone will actually know who the Lord is in the new covenant by the end of the new covenant age. Uh, Habakkuk 2.14 um, brings this up and even uses the same terminology. Uh, I'll actually go to Habakkuk because we're going to look at a couple of verses in chapter 2. If you don't know where Habakkuk is, it's after Nahum. And if you don't know where Nahum is, it's about four books from the end of the Old, Test Old Testament. And so... Um, Habakkuk 2, uh, let's start at verse 2, and tell me if this sounds a little familiar uh, with, with Jeremiah. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that, uh, so he may run who reads it. Uh, where are we at? For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And so you can read everything else in Habakkuk 2. It's a lot of judgment. Uh, it's actually a lot of judgment on, on wicked nations and those who disobey the Lord. And so, but he's saying this will surely come. Wait for it. If you don't think it's come yet, just keep waiting. It's coming, right? And then in the middle of that, verse 14 in chapter 2, it says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Well, let me ask you, uh, everywhere on every nation group in every corner of the earth, does everybody know, knowledge-wise, does everybody know, at least information-wise, that the Lord is glorious and how awesome and powerful he is? Not yet. Wait for it. It's coming. And so uh, Jeremiah is saying the same thing. He's giving glimpses of the new covenant. Everyone's going to know the Lord. They, I don't think he's saying that everyone's going to know the Lord in a salvific way, but like Habakkuk is saying, not everyone, it doesn't say everyone's going to know the Lord and come to salvation. 
everyone's going to know the glory of the Lord. They may reject the Lord. Uh, there's many who saw the glory of the Lord shining through Moses' face and hated Moses, uh, thus hating the Lord. And they were uh, expelled from even the, the desert. And so, uh, or I should say swallowed up. But, uh, but that's a glimpse of the new covenant. That's what's coming. Everybody from the least to the greatest, every corner of the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It's, there's coming a time, and I don't know if this is a thousand years or a few thousand years or longer, but that we'll actually, uh, I don't think anyone will be alive in a thousand years. Maybe if John Luke continues to steward his body, maybe <laughs> 60 more years, 80 more years or something. But um, if we were to see the glimpse of, of the earth at the end of the new covenant era before Christ comes, every, the whole earth is going to know that Christ is king and every tongue, when you look at Philippians, it says every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Uh, that's not necessarily a total end of the earth when Jesus comes at the fulfillment in time. Every king, every government, every person will know the Lord. They might not submit to him, but they will know through the church, through the expansion of the kingdom, how glorious he is. And so, uh, why is that? Well, Jeremiah tells us in the next verse. We can flip back to Jeremiah. For he says, whoa. Oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. Here we go. Uh, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And so, um, pulling out other things of Scripture, like what we talked about, the grace of God teaches us to renounce all unlawfulness, is uh, when we live in light of the Lord's forgiveness, uh, all these other things in the covenant make sense, right? Right? And that's what we're looking forward to at Easter. Not that Easter hasn't already come and that we don't celebrate Easter every day, but in the church calendar, that's what we're looking forward to at Easter. And so we live in the light of of the Lord's forgiveness, his atonement, and that's what makes sense of all of these other things, right? If the Lord put his law in my heart and I knew the law and I didn't understand forgiveness, that would be condemnation, because I, I know what I do. I know, the, I know a little bit about the law. Uh, <laughs> I know some things. I understand the Ten Commandments, okay. And I know I don't quite measure up. Actually, it's a little bit more than not quite measuring up. Uh, if I were to rate them, that would, we would be here for a while, and it would be a total show of total depravity. And, but that's not what we're here for. We're here to magnify the Lord uh, and see his awesomeness. And so... Um, all of those things in the new covenant make sense. And he says, these will surely happen. And so, uh, and so in our Hebrews passage, I actually want to read uh, verses 1 through 4 before we kind of go back and look at verses 5 through 10. Because <clears throat> it helps it make a little bit more sense. One thing I love about doing the scripture readings is because you don't have to think about a topic. You don't have to think about anything. You just have to read the Bible. And... See what God has to say. 
And so to make a little bit more sense of when it says that, so Christ did not exalt himself in verse five uh, to be made a high priest, but he was appointed by him who said it. To get a little bit of context, we'll go back to verse one. <clears throat> For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, right? So there's a high priest appointed by somebody. Actually, it was gene genealogically, uh, but that was initially appointed by Moses, who was appointed by God. And uh, they don't get to pick, right? It's not their pick. I don't say, hey, I'll put in my bid and we'll do a little vote and democracy rules and whoever votes to be the high priest and whoever gets the most votes wins, right? It's not like that. You don't get picked or you don't get to choose. It's chosen for you. And you either answer that calling uh, or you don't, um, or you die. Uh, <laughs> and so in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins, right? So we're looking specifically at about the uh, one particular uh, job of a high priest was on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, atonement, to go in on behalf of all the people and to offer sacrifices in the Holy of Holies, in the most inner part. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, this is the high priest, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. Right? The high priest would go in and offer sacrifices for his sins to purify himself, and then he would go in and uh, offer sacrifices for the rest of the people. Verse 4, And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Right? And so we see the... Uh, let me just read a little... I guess we'll just go a little bit farther and make some sense of it. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be, be made a high priest, but was appointed by him... Uh, who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, so, there's a few things just to bring out, because uh, I kind of want to get to the, we got 15 to 20 minutes, and I want to get to the gospel reading. But just to offer some things about these passages is that uh, and in remembrance, is Jesus took up the call. He, it was the eternal plan of, of the Trinity that this was going to happen, but he didn't say, oh, guess what? And I'm going to be the one that goes down to earth, humbles myself, which is a more glorious thing, and be lifted up, which is a more glorious thing, and sacrifice myself, which is a more glorious thing to bring praises to me. The Father appointed him, and he went. And so, um, always in Scripture, if you were going to look at the Bible as some type of manual for life, it would be uh, imitate Christ. You know, Galatians, um, is it Galatians 5 or Ephesians 5? Galatians, Galatians 5, uh, as dearly beloved children, uh, imitate, imitate God. And also in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so if there was any sense of that we need to look for an instruction manual um, in Scripture, it is that we are called to be like Christ. And in this sense, the Scripture verses are bringing out that he wasn't seeking to glorify himself. He was given a task, and he took it up. He submitted, right? And so when we get to those verses that are sometimes confusing about, well, was, uh, was Jesus God? Because it says he wasn't perfect. He was being made perfect. 
uh, in verse 9. Um, and so keep going in verse 7. Um, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Or I think the NASB says his um, obedient submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so uh, this doesn't mean that Jesus was sinful and through obedience he then became perfect. He was not morally corrupt, right? Sin, he had every opportunity to sin, right? In his flesh, uh, in a certain theological abstract way, uh, you might be able to say that Jesus could have sinned, but only in the sense that he had opportunity to, right? Because he was tempted in every way that we see in earlier in verse 4, that he was tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. And so oftentimes we think of Jesus's um, humanity and deity as like somehow separate of like, well, when he walked on the earth, this is his humanity. And this is what we see. And when he ate, he was just being human and he put off his deity. And then when he did miracles, this was his uh, deity. But that's not what the Bible says. Jesus did miracles, not out of his deity, but because he was filled with the spirit. He didn't say, this is me being God and I can turn water into wine. Uh, it was through the Spirit, right? And so um, Jesus humbly submitted. He learned through submission. He did learn, right? Is what the scriptures say. And so, um, but that being made perfect is in relation to being the high priest and offering sacrifices, he didn't need to go before into the Holy of Holies and then offer sacrifices for himself. He was the sacrifice. Through his humble submission to the Father, he was being made perfect for to be the sacrifice, if that makes sense. Because he wasn't going to offer sacrifices, he was going to offer himself, which we'll see in, in our gospel uh, reading. And so... Um, the only thing I don't like normally about our scripture readings is they're too short. And so if you read this in, in context and go a little bit further, the writer of Hebrews is using this to say, uh, and you had better be careful not to fall away, right? Many of you should have been teachers by now, but you need spiritual milk instead of spiritual, uh, instead of spiritual meat. And, and, and so then a call to maturity, Right? He, look at Christ's humanity, his deity, his humble submission. Uh, go back into scripture. This is a good hermeneutic principle that when Jesus is called the high priest, uh, the writer of, uh, writer of Hebrews handles a few things that the high priest did. But uh, go and figure out why the high priest had the, I think it's the umen and the thurman uh, on his chest when he went into the temple. Right? What did he wear? What did the high priest do? How was he appointed? Everything that a high priest is, we should now go back in light of Jesus Christ being our high priest 
and see that, right? What does it mean by the order of Melchizedek? Because he's only mentioned for a few chat for a few verses in in Genesis and in some of the Psalms and and therefore, and so use those as a hermeneutic principle to go back and know Christ deeper. You'll know him deeper as you study all of Leviticus and what the high priests do. Uh, most notably, one more comment before we go on to our gospel reading is that. Uh, the high priest was in charge of all the other priests, right? And so uh, that makes sense of the priesthood of all believers is that because Jesus was the high priest, that makes everybody under him a priest, right? And then read the rest of your Bible and find out exactly what that means. All right, let's go to our last gospel, our last reading in our gospel reading of John, chapter 12. Uh, 20 through 33. And so this is a funny passage. If anybody uh, thought about that while we're reading this morning. Um, And so hopefully everybody knows that there were three types of Jews in uh, the first century. Um, And these would be called God fears. It says in verse 20, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. These are not Israelites, uh, but they were at the feast, right? Um, right before this, Jesus' triumphal entry happens. Uh, and the uh, Apostle John records um, specifically that there were crowds who knew that he had resurrected Lazarus and were following him and worshiping him in the crowd. And uh, the Pharisees get really mad and say in verse 19, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Like the whole world's following this Jesus guy and the Pharisees are really angry. And so now it's not just uh, these Israelites, but now there's Greeks who want to see Jesus. Verse 21, so these came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So what does Philip do? Uh, well, hold on. Uh, Philip went and told Andrew, Hey, Andrew, like, these Greeks want to see Jesus. Should we let him? Like, is he, like, like he just said a little bit before that uh, he came after the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Like, Greek people want to see Jesus. Or do we... Is this allowed? Uh, So Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, because if you're going to bring bad news or some bad news to your boss, you don't do it alone. You do it in a team, because maybe if the boss is doing eeny, meeny, miny, moe, he'll pick not you. And uh, it's always... um, and And so Jesus' answer, right... He doesn't say, oh yeah, by the way, uh, I'm calling all people to myself, Jews and Gentiles, and first of the lost lost sheep of the house of Israel, but the Seraphonician woman, uh, she can even would have faith and we can heal her because she is a true child of of Abraham. Um, He doesn't answer that. He doesn't say that. Um, Jesus says in verse 23, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Right? He says, uh, 
Jesus, these Greeks want to see you. Jesus says, essentially, in parable form, I'm going to die. I'm here for a purpose, and I'm going to die. Which, if you went back and told the Greeks that, this would, uh, <laughs> will make more sense. Uh, it says, and it bears much fruit, but whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Right? He's asking them to deny themselves, and in a minute, to follow after him and serve him. And that's going to mean your life. Jesus himself gave up his life to be obedient to the Father. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Well, uh, I want to serve Jesus if it meant like, you know, uh, getting all the blessings of whatever it meant. Like, you know, I always like to think like in the priest and the high priest, they ate like really nice like stewed meat all the time. And if you were in service of the temple, you got like to eat a carnivorous diet all the time. And the blessings of that is what I want. I want to serve in the temple to get good meat. <laughs> Spotless lambs, young, uh, sounds like a good, good, good feast. But not just the service, but he must follow me. Well, Jesus just said he's going to die. He's here for a purpose. Uh, and that's to give up his life. He's, if you want to serve Jesus, you have to follow him and go tell those Greeks that if they want to see me and if they want to become disciples, I'm going to go and die and they should follow me and be with me. Because uh, he says in the rest of verse 26, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. And so this is another call to remind Philip and Andrew and the Greeks who want to see him that following Jesus is, means your life. You're giving up everything, right? In humble submission, just like we read in, in Hebrews uh, that the high priest was in humble submission, that Jesus was. And, and the Father will honor him or glorify him. As the Son of Man is lifted up, uh, as Jesus was lifted up, <clears throat> so will the church be lifted up, those servants of Christ, uh, as we give up our life to follow him in his kingdom. And Jesus says in verse 27, uh, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? What do I normally pray? Lord, please help me to not experience so much turmoil in life and be comforted and... Uh, you know, when, when we're sick, we usually pray for healing. Uh, and I don't like that. But no, that's not the way Jesus prayed, right? That's not what um, the writer of Hebrews says, that he, he prayed with loud tears, right? Of, Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name, right? When we're following Christ... There's a certain dynamic that we have to understand is that it, he says the Father will honor him who serves him, right? If you serve and follow Christ, the Father will honor you. But that's not what we're seeking. That's not what uh, Jesus was seeking, was not his own glory, but he knew he was to be glorified. He's seeking the Father's glory. And then a voice came from heaven I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. 
The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Right? Um, it's kind of serendipitous, uh, more God's providence of uh, a lot of these Bible verses, scripture readings that we're doing today is what we've mentioned or talked about or some people have prophesied about in our um, worship meetings that we've been having throughout the week. Uh, especially this one. And I'm just kind of saying this particularly for uh, our community, um, for everybody here, of not to be a person that said, oh, maybe that was thunder, but to hear the word of the Lord and, and understand uh, through faith that it's God. It, it was the Father. Others said, maybe it was an angel. Uh, right? Is if we want to be the people when the Lord speaks, we understand it's the Lord's voice. We don't think it's the thunder or, right? They totally missed out. They totally didn't get it. They totally, uh, um, you know, had their own way of, of thinking. They so much that they couldn't even hear the voice of the Lord. Uh, so Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine, right? This was given to you guys for you, right? Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Uh, he said this, said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And so the same thing that we read in Jeremiah 31 of that surely this will happen, all people will know me, Jesus is saying, when he's lifted up, he's going to draw all people to himself. That's where we're at. All people, the whole earth uh, is crying out. All of creation is crying out for the sons of God to be revealed, right? Jesus is at work. His kingdom is growing, um, and it's not going to fail. And if you think it is, just go back to Habakkuk uh, and just read Habakkuk 2.2. 2 and say, well, if you don't think it's coming, well, just wait a little bit, and then you'll see the growth. And then if you still don't think it's there, just wait a little bit longer. Um, so Jesus has surely cast out the ruler of this world. Um, kind of like, didn't even look at my notes and kind of uh, skipped over some things for sake of time, but... Um, in Revelation 14, uh, it talks about, there's, I think I there's five or seven different visions, I can't remember. Uh, but in this particular vision, uh, starts in chapter 12, where it just like glosses over Jesus's uh, resurrection. It's like there's one little sentence that uh, the male child is born and, and the serpent or dragon is after the male child and the male child ascends to heaven. Uh, and then you get on to chapter 14 and it's talking about an eternal gospel being proclaimed in all the earth by these angels or by an angel that's flying over, proclaiming it to everybody. And uh, Colossians somewhere, uh, Colossians 2.23, Paul says the same thing that the gospel has gone out to all creation. And we have the same mandate in, in Mark 16 of preach the gospel to all creation. And when Jesus purchased something, when he became a man, when he bought it, he surely owns it. 
He's not going to fail. And uh, not just that we want to partake in his work and what he's doing, but uh, to have the faith, we're supposed to be imitating the faith that Jesus had in the Father. He surely purchased. He surely didn't lose. He surely uh, died, sacrificed his whole life, and all the disciples were like, uh, that was a good three years. Let's go back fishing. Because uh, they, they would have been in the class if we were to separate of, they didn't quite have understanding. They would have thought that it had thundered, that it was over. They didn't have the faith uh, to say and look through the Psalms because the Spirit hadn't been poured out, that uh, this was the beginning and Jesus just purchased the earth and everything's going to return to his glory. And we get to partake in that. When we worship here on Sunday mornings, we get to the one day a week, we all get to join, as long as we're all here on time and together, uh, we get to join with hundreds of thousands of Christians in this time zone of worshiping the Lord at the same time. And even uh, if our brothers and sisters in India are watching in another time zone, it's just later at night. And on the Lord's day, it's a culmination in communal worship of what Jesus has done and purchased, and it will surely happen, and it's not going to fail. And with that, let's close in prayer and get coffee and get ready to worship, because it should get wild. Uh, Lord, we thank you for what you have done, what you have purchased, for being our high priest, for pouring out your spirit, for writing your law on our hearts, for making everything in history come up to this point so that we would worship you here today. Lord, we return praise and thanksgiving to you through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.